We live in a very diverse nation in the United States, and our college campuses can be equally, sometimes even more diverse than the city or neighborhood we grew up in. Diversity may be on campus, but that doesn't mean every voice is heard at the table. Voices from the Margins is a podcast designed to elevate the voices of women and students of color from college campuses around the United States. Together, we hope to raise awareness on unknown issues, invite people to action, and advocate for the unheard. Join us on Voices from the Margins. Welcome to Voices from the Margins. I'm your host, Sean Watkins. And this is Alice Liu. And today we've gone to campus to interview some students and alumni about what it means to stay woke and what it means to be woke in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we actually want to play that first clip for you now. This is a South Asian student. Uh, at the University of Texas at Arlington. Uh, Tell me, what's your ethnic background? I am South Asian, and so that just means my parents were born in India and Kerala, so the south side of Asia. But I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Hey, all right, all right, yes. We are in Texas for all these interviews, that's right. (laughs) uh, And so as you look at kind of what's going on right now, last few years in 2017, so all the things that are kind of happening in our country right now, what are some things that give you hope about what's happening in terms of, um, yeah, just injustices and the reality of kind of, I think, everything that's taking place? What are some things that give you hope, and then what are some things that uh, are concerns for you? Uh, one of the things that give me hope, I think a lot of people are realizing that we're kind of living in, like, a facade. I don't think people realize that a lot of injustice were still happening, like, racial injustice or even the domestic violence or anything just because it was just stuff they're like oh that happened in the past and like we already have these laws now and blah, blah blah but just because we had these laws didn't mean anything i think with everything that's happening now and people protesting some people are kind of being aware and uh, i noticed like even for my parents they were never aware of like all these history stuff because they weren't they weren't born and raised here but like just recently when they were doing the women's march my dad was like i don't understand like why are they doing that you know but like my parents didn't even ask before they never even asked before you know and so for them to even ask i was like oh that's something that gives me hope and i'm like sitting there explaining to him and he's like oh okay that makes sense and then i was like yeah you know and so it's great and then yeah and even for my church um when it, so i go to a south asian church too so it's all brown malayali people and one of the things I brought to them was the injustice towards the black community and police brutality. And for them, it's like, like I said, most of them didn't grow up here or when they came over here, it was kind of like we just isolated into our own community, didn't care about anybody else. And I kind of made it aware to them, like, you know, if we were being called as Christians, we got to love on everybody. It's not just us being in heaven, it's all of us being in heaven. And for them to like, when I kind of give them like the stats of what was happening and let them know, like, you know, something the media will like, mess up and say other stuff that's not true but then I gave them the facts I'm like this is what's happening this is how our response would be a lot of them literally came up to me and they're just bawling their eyes and yeah so it gives me a little hope like people are now just being aware and I think now they're getting educated so that's like the little hope that's sparking nice nice uh what concerns you kind of what you're seeing right now um so like I said with my community we kind of isolate ourselves and so lots of times 
Um, and I would like to say it's just the older generation, but it's sad to say, like, even people that's my own age will just kind of, if they hear something injustice on, like, media or on the internet, they'll just be like, oh, but why do they have to act like that? They should have done this in the first place, and then that problem would never have been there in the first place. And, you know, and it gets me, like, so mad, especially when somebody my age, and I'm like, you grew up here, you should have known, or you should know how it feels like to have a racial comment at you and stuff, but... So it's kind of just like, in my community, we kind of isolate ourselves, like, as long as we, we have the whole minority model to, like, you know, people should be like us. We're the doctors, we're the lawyers, we're the smart ones. If, like, we could get it together and we're the immigrants, like, why can't they give it together? And so I guess this, it kind of concerns me that, like, even though I'm brown, I also need to know, like, we also have privilege more than other races. And so it's just, yeah. Wow, wow, that's great. That's very, very, very helpful. Um, and then the last question is, uh, if there's one thing you can say to the Christian community in terms of like, I wish Christians would start doing these things, uh, what would you say? Kind of look at the landscape of what's going on in our country today. Um, yeah, I just wish Christians would speak out more upon this injustice. A lot of them will just keep their comments to themselves. And I'm not talking about go on Facebook and put up a status. I know sometimes that could be helpful for other people, but I mean, like, actually take action. Like, if you do a peaceful pro protest, or that means um, educating others within your community, or just, like, if you know somebody's hurting from something, like, go be with them, go pray with them. Like, I want to see the actions. I think lately, and um, I just... Um, you know, I'm not seeing like much of the Christians like taking up and like showing like actual love and like mercy towards people. And like, if people act violently, it's so quick for us to be judgmental, but like understanding where their anger comes from and then like just going to them and be like, hey, anger is not the um, solution. Like, this is the solution. Yeah, yeah. And just be like, you know, we have the Bible, we have the answer. Now it's time to tell everybody else, hey, we know what to do. All right, and Alice, what did you think about uh, student number one, or the South Asian student? I thought she did a great job of articulating uh, some issues that are going on in the country. Uh, what stood out to you? I think the first thing that struck me was um, just the sheer amount of people surrounding her that were asking questions. So she talked about how her parents, um, parents had a conversation about the Women's March that took place in Washington, um, her church, she goes to the South Asian church, um, some of the questions that arose, and she talks about um, some of the reasons where, why, why these people were, I guess, coming to her. Um, and I think that's an interesting question to ask. I, when we run into people who um, may not see the same inequalities or injustices that we encounter, you know, to ask the question, why is why is that true? And I thought that she did a really great job of. Um, like, I don't know, I guess she'd really thought about why that had happened. So talking about how her church was really isolated. She talked about um, the perspective of young people, which I'd love to unpack with you, Sean, because I, I don't completely understand <laughs> where she was coming from. Um, or I just like have a conversation about it. What did you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I love the perspective that she brought uh, to the conversation. I was very impressed uh, with, even though she's a graduating senior, you know, for all of us who graduated from college, it may take a couple of years before our level of awareness about the world moves beyond the academic and collegiate level to one that's personable and one that's, you know, I think, uh, aware just at a different age and stage of life, but she definitely demonstrated that level of maturity. I think you can tell too, she's benefited significantly from being a part of InterVarsity and not just InterVarsity specifically, but I think a multi-ethnic community. There's something about being around other ethnic groups 
students from different ethnic backgrounds that have a different lived experience than you've had. Uh, and I would, I would say even beyond her being, having the experience of being in a multi-ethnic community, it sounds like she's been displaced. In other words, she's been in a place to where uh, the South Asian community has not been the dominant voice at some point. Like she's put herself in a place to where she's not so much uh, educating other ethnic groups and trying to correct uh, what she's heard about injustices, but she's put herself in a listening posture. Like she's heard what Black and Latino students have had to be able to say so much so that it's changed her perception on things. And now she's able to go back and be an advocate for those communities uh, in the South Asian community, whether it's in her chapter and with her church. So I was very impressed by that. And I think even like her opening statement, I asked her, you know, what were, um, about both strengths that she'd seen or hopes and concerns. And for her to be able to say, you know, I feel like we've been living in a facade. You know, this is a mm. 20, 21 year old. Absolutely. You know, she got here late nineties. Maybe she never saw Michael Jordan play basketball. I'm sorry, I'll <laughs> date myself. That's like my litmus test. You see the Bulls in real time, or did you not see the Bulls? So, you know, I think for somebody that probably missed all six of the Bulls championships, she got in the late nineties, uh, really at the boom of the internet. And for her to be able to say, we've been living in a facade that we have said that because the laws had changed, that everything was fine. And she has spoken to what I think many pastors uh, who are people of color and what many voices of the margins have continued to say. And I'd say even what we see in scripture, that just because the laws have changed, that doesn't necessarily mean that the hearts have changed. And so for her to be able to articulate that, I thought was absolutely incredible. And I think another thing, uh, Alice, you've mentioned this before, too, that I thought really stood out with this South Asian young lady. She spoke about how people from her uh, demographic, from her community, talked about this idea of being the model minority mm. and the pressure that really comes from that um, in some sense that as the model minority, um, the uh, South Asian community has just come together and huddled together and isolated themselves in one respect, but also because there's been an amount of economic and academic and professional success from that community, then that really, in some respects, it provides um, some critique and I would say some criticism of probably the, especially the black community and saying, if immigrants can come in and accomplish these things in such a brief period of time, why can't the black community? And so yeah, what were your thoughts on that as she talked about what it meant to be a, a model minority living in the United States and some of the ways in which that can uh, influence the opinion that even the broad uh, Asian community can have about injustice issues in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sean, I appreciate you um, introducing the idea of the model minority. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if that's what she was talking about with in her interview. Um, I think definitely the experience of Asian Americans with minority model minority is very similar to some of the dynamics she described. Um, so on one hand, uh, I imagine that in her church, her South Asian church, that there are a number of families that are first-generation immigrants. So they um, were born somewhere in South Asia and came here to the United States um, and have struggled with being accepted in America, um, uh, maybe with figuring out the customs here, um, facing discrimination uh, because of the way that they look or the way that they eat food or... Um, and so there is definitely a sense of compassion, I think, that we can... Oh, so for me, speaking as a Chinese-Taiwanese-American, <laughs> I think that uh, because of my experiences as uh, an outsider, um, that that calls for some compassion, um, that there is real suffering that goes into being an outsider in America. And at the same time, there is 
there is a sense of privilege that we experience because many of the stereotypes we've been cast into are very positive ones. And so we're in workplaces or in classrooms where people expect us to do really well. And I think, I think there's research that shows that when people expect good things of you or you even expect that you're going to do really well, you actually perform better. Um, and, and, and those things, I think, shelter us from discrimination, sometimes from people with a lot of power to do us harm, um, whether it's a boss or the way that um, an organization runs or whether we're talking about law enforcement. Um, so I appreciate that she had a very balanced look at that. I think that in my personal experience, it takes, um, it's a tough emotional road to kind of get to the place where you can be really even toned about it because on one hand, you have these really difficult, painful experiences being discriminated against. And on the other hand, um, as you're looking at your relationships to um, other ethnic and racial groups in the United States that have not done as well, you know, there's a, there has to be an acknowledgement of privilege. And living out that kind of dual position can be really challenging to sort out. So when you asked her the question about what, I think it was a question about how the church should respond, um, she talked about the need for Christians to speak up. And that was interesting because um, the next two interviews we're about to hear, uh, that same concept comes up as well. <clears throat> and so I want to ask why you think the church is so silent <laughs> or why Christians are si so silent on this issue, but I don't know if we want to go there quite yet. Um, I also don't know if the students quite address this in their interviews. Mm. So, Well, I think probably two things come to mind. Uh, one in terms of I think what the uh, South Asian student, which he spoke about in terms of being the model minority. And I, again, I, like he said too, I appreciate the fact that she raises that question and that concern. Um, I think as uh, a black man and as someone that got a degree in African-American studies, I think you hear that. That's an argument that you hear a lot, I think, um, not just from uh, uh, other ethnic groups who are people of color, but also from the dominant culture as well too. There is this question as you look at what's happened uh, with the history of black people, why we are not as far along uh, professionally, academically, uh, economically, and all of these things. And it varies. People can talk about uh, our political infrastructure, our theology, all of these things. And while I do think some of those uh, opinions and arguments and statistics are skewed, as in I think there are there is some academic excellence, there's some professional excellence, uh, there's some theological excellence that I see becoming out of the black that comes out of the black community. I do think that there's this idea that people often don't take into account when they consider the history of what it means to be black in America. Uh, Can for you say more about that? Yeah, for <laughs> for every uh, ethnic group in the United States that currently exists, um, every ethnic group that is here chose to come here. Um, there has been, whether we look at in the history of any ethnic group, whether they are escaping oppression from their own communities, whether they are forced to come to the United States because of a war-torn community, there is some type of a decision that's been made generations ago, or even in this in their current generation that says, I am going to come to America. It is the land of the free. It is the home of the brave. And because of that, uh, there is an opportunity here for us, for life, for liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And uh, that is fundamentally not true for African-Americans. Uh, there has been no other ethnic group on this land that was enslaved. There is no other ethnic group uh, in the United States whose ethnicity, whose race was created 
the whole construct of race was created to be able to oppress Africans and African-Americans. And so no other ethnic group in the United States has their race uh, created as a stigma or as it has a stigma associated with it. Even the ways in which we define what it means to be black, you can look it up in the dictionary, you can look at synonyms, and White has mentioned something that's pure and beautiful and black is dirty and disgusting and kind of all of these things. And so I think when you look at what's happened, not just in terms of how African-Americans came into the United States, those of us who are the descendants of slaves, but then you look at not just that 250 years legally of, uh, of oppression that took place in the U.S., but then you look at the 100 years following the Civil War and the continued lynchings, the race mobs, where the dominant culture would come to the African-American community, uh, and you saw businesses destroyed, you saw schools destroyed, you saw really what you mentioned in, the, in a previous podcast, too, about the ways in which African-Americans have had to pioneer some civil rights, move, uh, civil rights um, laws to take place in the United States but we don't talk about with the 50s and 60s, virtually most of those African-American leaders that led those movements were all assassinated. And so you wow. have a struggle for economic empowerment, you have a struggle for justice, and for every generation that's come up to attempt to lead, uh, their leaders, arguably, many of them have been killed. And so, and, and in the midst of that too, you also see as a 13th, which is an excellent documentary on Netflix has recently come out, it talks about how once the civil rights movement is done, we then see the privatization of prisons and mass incarceration begins. And so at every epoch in history, we have seen um, as race uses some type of a stigma, whether it's against African-Americans or against the Latino community, where these this ethnic group has continued to see economic, legal, academic, and professional oppression. Whereas if the focus is on the black and Latino community and questioning their work ethic, questioning uh, whether or not they will be safe in our particular communities, uh, the fact that property value goes down for me as an African-American when I move into a community before I unpack the box, ten to $20,000 and the property value is depreciated just because of my ethnicity. Whereas it goes up for someone who's Asian-American or white before they paint a wall, before they unpack a box. You look at all of those demographics and we have to ask the questions, why does that happen? Why are there avenues for the Asian American community to be considered to be the model minority and the stereotypes about the Asian community are overwhelmingly positive and the stereotypes about African Americans since we got off that Portuguese ship in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619 have been overwhelmingly negative. And I think uh, kind of what the students were talking about, the church can be silent about those things. The church can't not address those things. Um, so I think that's one part. Do you think, um, has have Christians always been silent about these matters? Or do you think it's particularly now in this time that there's a large discrepancy between the amount of injustice that's happening and the amount of um, churches speaking on it? Well, so that's a great question. I couldn't answer it. I can tell you what probably the historians and the theologians that – I look to and listen to you probably share it and I'll, I'll try to be brief and say a couple of things. So one of them, what I've recently heard a number of Christians of color, particularly those who are um, a native American or first nations, brothers and sisters, um, they've shared a lot about the doctrine of discovery that came out centuries ago where the Catholic church pretty much gave permission to Christians around the world to say, you can go to any place where if there are people who are there that are not either English speaking or don't have some type of domesticated culture, then you have the God-given right to colonize that place. And oh, so I think you even see gosh. the, yeah, you see the beginning of the Christian mission of the church in the West 
as one that really its roots are founded in imperialism and colonialism. And that's very painful. And I think uh, as is true in the West in terms of how we think about things, um, because the West normally is, has a European uh, cultural mindset, it, it, then it's very forward thinking. It's not backward and reflective. And so most people don't know that. And so, but that's the foundation, oh, it's one of the foundations of the church moving forward. I think when you come to America, uh, and I think Dr. King mentions this in his book, Where Do We Go From Here, uh, as well as Sung Chan Ra and Next Evangelicalism, they all talk about how slavery was really one of those catalytic moments that happened in the country. I wish the massacre of Native Americans would have been um, one of those catalysts for the church, but for some strange reason, uh, from what I've been able to find, there aren't a lot of history books about what the church was doing during that time period, but in America in particular, the church really kind of split down the middle. You had some Christians who were saying, once folks got saved, once uh, they led some people to the Lord, they said, you should become an abolitionist because slavery uh, goes against the kingdom of God. And we had another sect of Christians that said, no, we're making money off of this, uh, that, slave, that uh, our theology should not have a social uh, component to it, that it should be intellectual only and not practical. And it really split the church down the middle. And so now we have two sects of Christians really that live in the country where their faith is highly intellectual and we think deeply about things and critically about things, but it never leads to actually addressing social issues. And you have another sect of Christians who I would think, uh, and I suggest, and I think I fall into that category where your intellect is not enough. Our intellect also means that it must transform not just how we think, but also how we act. Um, and what's happened right now, I think, in the country is that we've had more generations that have come up that either don't know their history or I think that have intellectualized their theology only. And so now what's happened is you have these social justice issues going on, or even those terms are not right. We have people who are hungry, we have people who are naked, we have people who are sick, and we have people in prison, and we are not feeding them, we are not clothing them, we are not going to visit them, we're not going to, uh, to bring good news. And so it's... Um, I think the witness of uh, the church is at hand. And I think this generation of Christians, these college students, they see it. They're younger than us, mm -hmm. but exactly what, you know, this first South Asian student said, uh, they're asking a lot of questions. I think they're looking at us and they're looking at the gospel that we preach and how we declare that it's good news. And they're asking, how does that legitimately, how is it legitimately good news? Just beyond the intellect and the mind, how does it transform also to the hands and to the heart? So. That's good. Um, not just in the church, but in the university, there's a disjunct between our ability to see injustice, so to become woke, and then to be on people who act like we're woke. Um, and so in some ways, this urgent call that she makes for Christians not to be silenced is a call to action, not just a call to understanding. Um, it's, it's weird. Like you... Um I had the privilege of meeting uh, Dr. King's daughter a couple of weeks ago when she was asked about what's happening in the country today and particularly like how her father is remembered and celebrated. And one of the, the first sentence she said was, thank you so very much. You know, it's interesting today, my father is loved, but the day he died in America, he was the most hated man in this country. Hmm. And it's interesting for her to be able to, to reflect on those things and I mean, legitimately almost asked the question that the South Asian student is asking, where was the church in the midst of those things? And I think uh, the witness of the church, sadly, is that when you look at significant moments, whether it's um, the massacre of Native Americans, whether it's the exclusion of the Chinese in the 1850s, it's the civil rights movement, there is this, there are some Christians, but they're, they're few and far between. 
And the church is far more on the side of not saying anything during social justice issues. And then upon reflection, coming back saying, oh, we should have said something or upon reflection. Yes, we've always stood for these things. And I think when that's always what's concerning, right? What happens in that moment is the church actually being the people of God or Christians actually doing what the scriptures have called them to do. And uh, oddly enough, you know, some would argue that the church is not doing that, particularly the evangelical community who leads the conversation. But history says college students, right? Most of the social changes that have happened in our country, they haven't come out of the church. They've come from the college campus. Mm-hmm. It's college students. It's that younger generation looking at their elders, looking at their instructors and looking at society and saying, nope, we don't buy it. <laughs> and so whether they use the television, whether they protest on campus or whether they use social media, uh, they're trying to raise awareness for things. They're calling us to action and, and they're advocating for marginalized groups that, that haven't been heard. Voices from the Margins is presented by Ministry in Digital Spaces, a ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. For more information on MDS, joining our team, or becoming a ministry partner, log on to digital.intervarsity.org.